Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging, and you, or they, might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, welcome. This is your host, Nancy. Thank you for joining me today as we talk about another important subject in the world of aging, and that is, how do you intervene in a loved one's life when they don't want the help? Uh, why is it that they are resistant to your assistance? We're going to discuss ways of approaching them that might be more successful. And more importantly, what do you do when the risks are so high that overriding their objections becomes necessary? And when that's the case, how do you override their objections? I am joined today by, elder, by estate and probate attorney, Christy Carbongal, who has significant experience working with families concerned about loved ones, resisting and refusing help when those serious risks are present. Like myself, she also helps families strategize overcoming resistance and looking at means of intervention. Welcome, Christy. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I thought we might first talk about why the resistance is present. And there are many um, reasons for that. Um, some of those reasons are um, things that can be discussed and, um, uh, you know, effectively uh, worked with. And then there are other things that create more difficulty. Some of the simple things are that uh, many people don't like change. There are folks who, as they get older, they have um, an idea in mind on how they would like to age in place. And um, they prefer not to have strangers in their home. They prefer to remain in their home. They, um, they may be in denial about the aging process and how it's impacting them. But bottom line, they don't like change. They never have. And uh, what's being asked of them is, um, is a point of change. And that's something that you can perhaps work with. Um, the other is uh, many older adults had their own parents' care imposed on them, and they experienced it as a burden. And so they don't want to burden um, those they love. And so they will tell you that they don't need help. They will deny that there's a problem but it's simply because they don't want you to have to deal with it. And again, conversationally, that's something that you can get to discuss and perhaps work around. Um, another is role reversal or general pride. You know, I don't want to admit that I'm weak in any way. Never have, never will. Um, I don't want to be the weak one in the dynamic between myself and my child, let's say, if it's a child. 
Um, another is depression. I've had a recent loss of a spouse. I'm simply unmotivated. I don't want anything to be different because I just can't deal with it. And then the last and the one that I think, Christy, you often hear about, I often hear about, is the fear around loss of control. We've got families who are concerned. They see um, a decline happening. Uh, An event has occurred. Mom has fallen. She's been in the hospital. It's um, everyone turns their attention. They suddenly see things they hadn't seen before, and they want to swoop in, and they often do swoop in and begin to overwhelm the senior by taking over and wanting everything to change. Um, And that senior is left feeling like they have no sense of control. They're going to lose all their independence. Or even still, they've seen it happen to their neighbors whose kids came in, and they're terrified that if they admit that there's a problem, it's going to happen to them. So, Christy, I want to bring you in at this point in the conversation and ask, Have you gotten those calls either from family members or seniors who see these issues and are concerned about what to do? So the answer is yes. I've gotten the calls from both um, family members and seniors. Um, And um, and seniors, one of the, when I have people call me and say, I think that this is happening and I'm going to need you to represent me. I'm not necessarily inclined to get involved when it's somebody I don't know um, that's calling me that may have a guardianship or conservatorship case going against them, um, only because the court system really does provide some safety nets with regard to a guardian at Lydum being appointed for the senior um, and a social worker court visitor that can really get involved and do some deep diving to figure out what's really going on. And then, um, but more more frequently, because I am a guardianship and conservatorship lawyer, um, I get the calls from the family members telling me, this is what's happening. Where do we go from here? And really, um, they may be coming to me to do, you know, to talk about guardianship and conservatorship, but there really is a whole spectrum on the legal advice I give in that area, because guardianship and conservatorship is the last approach that we want to take. You know, unfortunately, I file probably five of them a month because even though it's the last approach, it's inevitable in, case, in certain cases. Right. And, and my plan is for us to really dive a little bit deeply into that and also to talk about powers of attorney. But, um, but in the meantime, let me, let me just address a couple of things from the perspective of the person looking in at the senior's life. Um, you know, even before, whether they're calling you, um, and, and I should say that Christy, in her estate planning practice and probate practice, she does, um, as she said, she works in the arena of guardianship and conservatorship, both contested and uh, uncontested matters. And very often um, she works in, there, there are usually, there are two lawyers involved and she very often is the petitioner, but even more often is what they call the guardian ad litem, where you represent the interests of the senior and, um, and not only present to the court 
what the senior, uh, what they want and how they feel about the whole thing, but also you look at best interest. And every state's different. Um, there's different roles in different states, but for the state you're in, this is this is the role that you play. And in that, you get to interact with the adult children, the siblings, the as well as the senior, um, the spouse, mm-hmm. etc. And so, um, but whoever calls you, if they're calling and they have a concern about their loved one, I mean, one of the things that you have to look at first is what are the needs. What are the concerns that you are seeing? And, you know, is there a way for you to evaluate what those needs are? Are there um, hospital notes or medical records that demonstrate um, some of the problems? Uh, You may see them as, you know, a... Um, you may see them larger than than um, than they are, or you may see them as not as significant as you should be seeing them. Uh, what are the risks involved um, uh, in in not making in not taking certain steps to intervene? What are the risks, and what's the exposure to your loved one? We're talking about both healthcare. Um, physical health, mental health, and financial health. Um, what what are the things? What are the needs? What are the risks that they are um, in front of? Right. And and of course, there are different approaches people often take. Um, you know, the the swooping, the conversation, picking a good time to talk, bringing in influential family members. Um, do you, have you had the experience of working with the family in a facilitated way to, to attempt to create change with a senior prior to any kind of, um, legal intervention? I have, um, in situations where, um, family members are anticipating that there's a, there's a decline in their parents. I'm, I'm just gonna use the parent-children scenario as the, as the easiest way to talk about this. But um, so typically, um, I will say that in a typical scenario, the calls that come to me are, we're well past that. Because I, I think you've probably found this in your, not as a case manager, but as the, on the guardianship side that People are not proactive in this arena. I think part of us, you doing this show, I think part of people speaking about guardianship and conservatorship is really to put this on people's radar so that we get more proactive and start dealing with these issues before it becomes a crisis. But so frequently when I'm brought in, we're already in crisis mode. Um, You know, the house is a disaster. The groceries are rotting in the fridge. There's no medication management because the person's not capable of, you know, dealing with their own pillboxes, et cetera. Um, But when I do have clients that call and say, you know, these are some of the things that we're dealing with right now with mom, Um, what are your recommendations? If I feel like based on the facts and circumstances that they're telling me that sitting together in a conference room with mom and the other siblings um, is going to be productive, we will definitely have that conversation. Because again, if we can avoid having to do guardianship and conservatorship, we will. Um, but, um, I don't get those opportunities as frequently as I would hope because usually we're well past, um, and Mm -hmm. any ability to be reasonable with someone that has, I mean, if we're talking dementia, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get into a conversation where you're trying to go through a reasoning um, uh, exercise with somebody who's got dementia. Um, sometimes that's futile. I would say that there are, yeah, so let's jump forward because there are a lot of things we can say about overcoming resistance when all of those reasons that I mentioned are, are exist. But um, I think when you get the call or I get the call, often many things have been tried and we're left with often three things, either... Um, Mom or dad are truly um, stubborn. I hear that term a lot. They're, they're just truly stubborn and they simply don't want anything to change. Or they're being unduly influenced by someone who has convinced them that the only way to do this is, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'd love for you to talk about that undue influence piece. And then the last, of course, there's a cognitive problem and no amount of reasoning is going to, um, is going to help. Right. Um, and so the more serious actions often, particularly, uh, you know, will get their attention. Uh, but again, if there's the undue influence or the lack of insight, you simply have to do what you have to do. Can you talk a little bit about powers of attorney and how a power of attorney um, can be used to implement um, and intervene when help is needed? So um, in New Mexico, we have two powers of attorney. We have a durable general power of attorney that covers everything um, that you would be, every ability to make a decision for someone else. Um, and then we have a healthcare power of attorney that deals with healthcare decision-making, including housing, um, you know, institutionalized care, caregiving, and end-of-life decision-making. So it encompasses the whole um, area of healthcare. Um, and sometimes a durable general power of attorney covers healthcare as well, but I am a big proponent because I'm an estate planning lawyer of having both documents. Um, because the if you don't have a healthcare power of attorney, the general power of attorney doesn't cover all of the same issues. However, mm-hmm. the whole purpose of having powers of attorney is to avoid having to have a guardianship and conservatorship. So essentially, if my mom says, you know, I'm going to execute this healthcare power of attorney, I want Christy to make the decisions for me. If I'm not capable of it, then if she has a medical crisis in which she's not capable of communicating, I have been named to make those decisions for her. Same with the financial side. If you have named someone to be your agent under a power, a financial power of attorney or durable general power of attorney, you're giving that person the ability to work in your best interest and make decisions that you would make if you were capable of doing so. That is in lieu of having to have a conservatorship in New Mexico. That's what we call the financial side of a, a guardianship and conservatorship case. And so that is definitely um, the approach everyone should take. Um, I have now two adult children and they both have powers of attorney in place that we did for their birthdays. Um, You know, happy birthday, yay, you're an adult now. (laughs) Um, And so when people talk about powers of attorney, they most frequently think it's because of an aging issue, but every adult should have a power of attorney. But once you have them, 
it's out of sight, out of mind. I've done these documents, now it's good, and I don't have to worry about this any further. But what we find in this area of law is no matter how much you've got your ducks in a row, you may end up getting into a situation where if mom has dementia, but she has a power of attorney, but she is refusing to let you act under the power of attorney, either because she's stubborn, she doesn't understand why, she's afraid you're taking control of her money, um, all of these things that come up with the powers of attorney, then it, it sometimes comes to a place where the power of attorney does not have enough, quote unquote, power to allow you to do your job if mom or dad are interfering with your ability to take care of them. And it happens frequently. Now, um, I know, um, is this rule across the board under a, that a healthcare power of attorney can be revoked verbally? Yes, they both can be. They both can be. Okay. Yes. If a third party is put on notice that it's been revoked um, and it can be verbal. I mean, granted, from a lawyer's perspective, we want everything to be in writing, sure. but they can revoke it. And I've had a case, in fact, where a woman acted as agent for her mom for years and in the bank said in front of the tellers, I don't know what she's doing and I don't want her to be able to write checks on my account. And even though it had been happening for years and everyone in that bank knew that this was the, you know, the, the dynamic, they could no longer accept that power of attorney because she essentially fired her daughter in, in their presence. Mm. So, and to protect mm -mm. themselves, mm -mm. they required a conservatorship to be put in place. Mm. Now, under New Mexico law, if you have a power of attorney in place, those same people are the people who have priority to serve as the conservator. Um, and so you still are putting in place where let's go back to my mom. If my mom is saying, I want Christy to be the power of attorney. If she became demented and needed me to file for conservatorship, I would be the first person allowed to do that. So that also has power because you're saying when I had capacity, this is the person I trusted and this is who I wanted right. to, to right. serve in this role. Okay, well, we're going to have to take our first break, but I want to come back and talk a little bit more about power of attorney, um, some of the limits, but also ways you can use it for intervention prior to having to go to court. Okay, so um, this is um, Aging Life Network, and we will be back in just a few minutes or 30 seconds or 60 seconds. We'll see you shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step -step guidance, tell you the questions to ask and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. 
Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. I am here with Christy Carbongal, a state and probate attorney, and we are discussing interventions uh, when our loved one is resisting or refusing help and the help is needed. Uh, We were talking about powers of attorney and over the break, she and I discussed a couple other um, things about that. So I'd like Christy to share with you what we were just talking about in terms of using a power of attorney rather than going to the more restrictive means of um, of court matters, which we will get to. Um, and also when families can get in trouble when um, somebody who has a power of attorney is um, not willing to take certain steps to intervene when it's obvious that there are big exposures of risk. So do you want to speak to that? Um, I do. So one of the things that has happened um, frequently, and I've had a number of cases arise in this way, is mom and dad, or mom, let's just go with mom because it's easier to talk about one person, has mm-hmm. powers of attorney in place, um, and everything's kind of going along the way it should be. And then it's always Thanksgiving or Christmas. Somebody comes in from out of town. It's that sibling that left town and never just sees mom on the holidays. And that sibling comes into town and there's mail on the table that hasn't been opened. Um, there's food in the fridge that's rotting. There's, you know, there's, there's some, there's some key issues going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, and what I find is that it's just like the, is it the frog in the hot water? The water keeps turning, getting hotter and hotter, but if you're in it, you don't notice it. And I think, I think that explains the dynamic between the caregiving family member and the, or the, the senior and meeting things can be really falling apart in that dynamic and you, but you live it every day. So you don't notice how mom is failing. And so a lot of times that happens and the person who gets blamed is the person who has the power of attorney, because the question is going to be, you have the ability to do these things for mom. Why are you not doing them? So Uh, it it can be the, it can be the, the frog in the pot, but it can also be, I've tried and she gets mad and and I'm conflict averse. Um, You know, I I don't know what else to do. And that's where, you know, maybe some incremental approaches to bill pay. And, you know, there are things that um, are written about and professionals that can help come up with ideas. Right. But, you're right, the out-of-town person. But if it's more significant, uh, mom, you know, there's a, a certain odor, uh, her house is unkept, her ha- she's unkept, and it's clear and obvious. And you're right, the person who has the power either doesn't see it or doesn't know how to correct. Right, 
right? So that happens a lot. And so one of the things that happens in those scenarios is that is a family meeting that we can have with the siblings to say, you know, first of all, let's stop pointing at the person who lives in town who takes care of mom every day. Because a lot of times that person is under a lot of pressure. And let's just think about COVID. You know, they're homeschooling their kids. They're trying to hold down their job. And oh, by the way, mom can't take care of herself. And I'm now trying to coordinate that circus And as I'm well. running dinner to right. her every night. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm having to make sure that she gets to doctor's appointments on telehealth and she doesn't know how to use her computer. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there is a lot of pressure when you're the parent caregiving sibling. So first, mm-hmm. we do, I want people to slow their roll and say, before we start pointing fingers, let's just figure out what's going on and let's let's determine if they have the tools in the toolkit to get this done. Has, has caregiving been considered? Have we talked about going online and being able to access mom's accounts online as the power of attorney so that you have at least a weekly ability to look online and say, Okay, so that's the fourth check she's written this week to some right. non-existent charity. Um, so there's so that's right. one of the things I do with siblings right. to begin with. You have a son that lives an hour away. Perhaps you can come every Saturday morning and have coffee yeah. with mom and review her mail and her right. bills. If you're the right. if you're the financial power of attorney, you know let's let's um, just go over it with her, let her be a part of that, write the checks and just have her sign them. Right, Um, right. mm -hmm. And so I think that that sometimes requires um, a lawyer to get involved. And here's why. And this is something you and I've talked about in other cases, you take a family how it comes to you. So if I'm taking a family that has parents who are alcoholics and a kid who's been a meth addict or, you know, this is everyday America. Um, You know, so when I talk about these scenarios, people are like, oh my God, does this really happen? Or that hoarder show on A&E. And I'm like, that's not unusual. That's like a daily occurrence in my practice where you run into these these, um, mental health issues that Americans have. I mean, this is not unique. And so, you know, when I'm saying that, so we take these families, so we really have to be able to very quickly identify who are the players in this, what are their roles in this relationship, and who has the power, who has the ability to get mom to listen, and how are we going to fix this with the dynamics we've been given. And sometimes those dynamics are so broken that guardianship and conservatorship with a third party coming in saying, you guys are all crazy, and we need somebody to take care of mom. Well, or yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I would offer that um, um, you do often see the more extreme um, scenarios. And in the less extreme scenarios, we do have um, private care managers, geriatric gerontologists who meet with families, identify needs, facilitate right. meetings, you know, you know, divvy up roles. We also have a new... Um, a new world of elder mediators who are doing the same with families. And so, you know, people should put that in perspective as they're listening. But um, we do, you and I often have seen the more extreme cases where, you know, we're hearing what the the parent wants and, and we have a child or children who either think mom is fine and she's not and others who see that she's not. And it could be the in-town child 
who might know there's a problem, but they're so overwhelmed they can't deal with it. Or you often have the out-of-town child who only talks to mom on the phone once a month and says, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. She's fine. So you're getting those disparities in in perspective. Right. And I think what you're saying, Nancy, is really important. I think that part of uh, part of what you guys would be identifying and that I try to identify for some of these people, but really it's a case management and social worker job is what can we do to provide tools for that toolbox? Sometimes mm-hmm. the tools mm-hmm. don't ex- are, are not going to be able to be implemented because it may be a time in the cases you're talking about that I get involved in where we're way too far down the road. Mom needs to be moved into a facility. She needs 24-7 care and doesn't have the finances or, you know, those kind of extremes. But there are a lot of interim steps. I believe that sometimes because it is so overwhelming to see your parent aging badly, that people get so overwhelmed that they don't even know there are resources. You could call a case manager to have somebody come in to give you a plan. You can call caregivers and you can hire caregivers. Call a consultant with Aging Life Network. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and I think that we're really, when we're we're out talking in the community about these issues, it is really to start providing people ideas about what resources exist out there so that they can be actively, proactively aging well. I mean, I look at, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I, you yeah. know, like when we have older parents, my grandma died of Alzheimer's, my other grandma's 92 and still kicking. And, but I look at her thinking, how am I going to live my life differently so that when I get to be 92, I don't have arthritis. Like, you know, those kind of things of conversations that we're having now, but I don't think those conversations exist in, in a normal, unless you do what we do for a living, we don't talk about aging. And that's right. the part I right. think that needs to be done better so that people have a better understanding of how to handle these situations right. and right. The, and change the, the family dynamic from the parent being the caregiver to the child being the caregiver. Absolutely. I mean, the best thing a parent can do or someone, uh, you know, someone can do for those they love is right. to agree to, to participate in those conversations. What do you want to have happen when or if? And even those best laid plans don't, always, um, you know, work the way you think they might. But, you know, if you need um, help, um, do you, you know, would you prefer to spend all of your money on home care and remain in home as long as possible? Or would you prefer to go to assisted living, something more affordable, Um, You know, on our website, aginglifenetwork.com, we have a download, a guide called the Values History, where people answer those questions. What is it you want? In future shows, we will be hearing from an organization called the Conversation Project, where they talk about having these conversations. Mm -hmm. We all know the sooner you can and the more uh, complete the conversation is, Um, the better off the family is down the road. Unfortunately, most families don't ever have those conversations. Right. And the event happens. It's usually an event. And I do sometimes advise, you know, if the risk is not too great and mom is resisting care and they have capacity, you know, as they like to say in adult protective services, um, you know, competent people get to make bad choices. And sometimes it's simply a bad choice. 
Um, in those cases, I will advise families that they're going to have to wait for an event, unfortunately. Right. But whenever there's a window, you need to keep an eye out for those windows and be ready to go in and discuss what right. needs to happen. I think one other thing that I would mention that's happening frequently now is the calls I'm getting. Um, scammers are so much more sophisticated than I think anybody has any idea about. And so the number of cases that I'm being called about now where the, you know, the social security has been stopped because you owe taxes and you didn't pay them, write me a check for this amount and send it to this number. And we, and for most of us, we get those phone calls and we're like, yeah, hold on, let me get your, my social security number and my routing number. Are you crazy? And you hang up the phone. Um, but it is amazing to me how many people take that very seriously. I think COVID doesn't help because people are isolated. So where they might say to somebody, hey, are you getting these same phone calls? So we, I, I have two active cases right now where people are being aggressively scammed and giving money away, and both of them are arguably arguably competent. Um, where there is obviously um, something wrong with their decision making, because how many times do you write a guy a ten thousand dollar check, and he's supposed to get back to you with this refund, or you know the the stories are ridiculous but people are believing them. And the reason I bring that up is because it is happening so frequently right now. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars people are giving away. But you know, some of the other options would be if we see this is happening, we know mom is capable of taking herself to the doctor and she's there's not a dementia um, diagnosis, but there's something not working right. Even having something in place, like we put a trust in place in which we say, hey, you know what, you trust your son and you're letting him pay your bills now, now that this, ha this tragedy has happened and money has gone out to uh, in fraud. Um, why don't we set up a trust and why don't we put your, your money in a trust so that someone else is managing it for you? That's someone being a family member and you're getting an allowance. And I use these terms knowing they're all triggers. So we try and nuance how we talk about that. But how about if I pay all your bills and then we have a conversation so that if you are feeling inclined to want to write somebody a check, you call me first to make mm -hmm. sure that the Siberian Husky Fund is actually a real nonprofit that you want to support or that you want to send money to some guy in Syria. All of these are fake things. Um, it, is literally the, um, it is literally the, I'm the crown prince of whatever and I've been kidnapped, can you send me money? And people are writing checks. Yeah. So there are ways on the power of attorney yeah. side, monitoring bank accounts when you're worried about that kind of stuff talking about setting up trust for mom, there are ways to deal with that before you get into guardianship and conservatorship. Okay. And it's happening and those things are happening currently. The cases you mean or um, the cases with, with people being scammed. Yes. And, and I just think it's uncomfortable for you to say to your parent, you know what, this is happening and it's a problem and I don't know why it's happening. But how about if you just how about if I'm just online with you on your bank account so that once a week we can look and make sure that there's not something going on with your account. You know, there's certain things right. like that that we can tell we can advise right. people to help. Sure. So that they address it because before it becomes a complete tragedy and all the money's gone. Correct. Yes, I had a 96-year-old fellow I worked with who was um, 
pretty much all there cognitively, but he had a call and all they said was, Grandpa, is that you? Right. And he said, Daniel, is that you? Yes, it's Daniel. So they got the grandson's name right away. You know, I'm in jail. I need, I need help. Mm-hmm. And he was astute enough to call his daughter and say, where's Daniel? Well, no, right. he's not in Mexico in a Mexican prison, you know. Yep. No, they're very good. My cousin, uh, our, my cousin's um, son was in Afghanistan, and they called my grandmother and told them that Jordan was, was uh, needed yeah. money. And they knew he was in Afghanistan. So, so I don't know if it was from Facebook. So interve- right. Yeah. So yeah. that can be tricky. The intervention can be tricky. Right. Um, right. And oversight over accounts may not be enough, and it might be a time... Yeah, to right. um, to have to have a more serious conversation. Um, yeah, and again, if the parent is relatively reasonable and doesn't fall into those categories of you know stubbornness, undue influence, or some form of impairment, um, you can potentially um, work with them. So. Well, I'm yes. sorry. One other thing I was going to mention, too, is remember, too, these people come to us on all ends of the financial spectrum. So I might have super wealthy clients or I may have people who are very middle class who caregiving costs are extremely expensive. But for one of the things I speak to um, about proactive aging um, is people who do have the money. And some of the tools we're talking about is have somebody take your garbage to the curb so you don't fall off the curb and break your hip. Have somebody doing your laundry for you. And even those little things that seem silly to be saying to people, those are the the episodes we're talking about is somebody falling and breaking their hip. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. do stuff to prevent that. Correct. Don't don't get up on the ladder to deal with your air conditioning when you're 85 years old. Hire someone to do that. And again, I'm not being I'm not and, and to couch it in a more positive way, you know, right. have someone and and start with, you know, a couple hours in the morning, right? A couple hours morning and evening, yeah. you know, begin to incrementally bring in more help. Yeah. And that positive spin is why did you work so hard to make all this money if you're not going to use it to care yeah. for yourselves? And this is what we well, want. Unfortunately, the other side of the problem with a lot of families is they don't discuss money. Right. And if you don't know what your loved one can afford, you can't really plan. Um, you know, we have lots of new technologies that are keeping people independent and safe. And, you know, future shows, we'll talk about that. But um, but if you don't know what um, is affordable, um, and so you have to overcome some of that. Right. Um, when we're going to take another short break, I now know they're 90 seconds. And, uh, and when we come back, I would like to talk about undue influence, um, you know, the handyman, the neighbor, um, how that happens, how to see it, when to be concerned, and then we'll end the show talking a little bit about this guardianship process that keeps coming up. Okay? So be right back. Thanks. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? 
Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step -step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Okay, I'm back with Christy Carvangal, a state and probate attorney, and we've been talking about um, overcoming objections and resistance to getting help. Um, and one of the things that we would like to, I'd like Christy to address before we shift over to um, a couple other topics, is the whole issue of transparency and and uh, caregiver agreements, which we touched on last week, but I'd like to hear your perspective on that. Okay. So one of the things that I advise clients, uh, children um, in most scenarios that are acting as power of attorney for their mom or dad is once you've been tasked with doing that role. So if it comes to it, however it comes into being, mom has had a stroke and you're working and she's not able to participate, or mom has agreed that you should start paying bills and you're going to be involved in that role. The one thing that I advise family members is your transparency with your siblings is going to go a long way towards continuing to have family dynamics that are workable. So I even say this to families where everybody gets along because when they're not going to get along, it's going to be about the money situation. I agree. I so agree. I recommend that they send at least one email a month to everybody. I mean, this is just my just standard thing is send an email once a month to say, here's the highlights. These are right mom's regular bills. If there's been a deviation from the regular bills, here's what that deviation is. Here's what's going on with mom. If mom is capable of participating in that conversation, she gets a copy of that email too. And maybe you're running that by that report by her every month. Um, but if she's not, it's even more important that you're putting this information out. And now universe. we do a Zoom. Everybody gets on Absolutely. Zoom and you yeah. get an update. How's she doing? But I think it's so hard when you're the one that's doing the work as the, mm -hmm. or as the kid. Mm -hmm. You get lost in the everyday stuff and you don't think about that, but it will come back to haunt you. You know, when you make that decision to change out the uh, air conditioning unit and you spend $6,000 and everybody wants to then um, Monday morning quarterback you on that, 
talk about it before you do it, think about it and make it more of a consensus building situation. It it is so helpful, even if you have, quote, all the power, all the authority, um, being transparent means either communicating major decisions before they, the action occurs, getting input. And it's really hard for, especially on the healthcare side, for the person who's doing the day-to-day care and you've got out-of-town family members who are not calling or visiting, the assumption is they don't care. And sometimes that's not the case. Um, right. I think that um, I've seen cases where the, the caregiver may not have the time or be able to provide the update, but there might be another sibling who visits weekly and that person can give the update. So it, it's important to divvy up the roles, but I think on the caregiver agreement side, being really clear, you know, is mom going to pay you? How much is she going to pay you? Is she paying room and board? If she's in your home, are you doing an addition? Um, Why did that new car get purchased? You know, those things can be put in writing. Right. Um, Yeah. I'm a big so. proponent of doing that because I will say this, I mean, because I draft estate planning documents as well as do the guardianship and conservatorship, I, I see it during, see what's happening during life. And then I see what happens on the fallout after someone dies. Mm-hmm. And it's always the, the, the um, adult child who's the caregiver who tends to be, who it tends to be the brunt of it at the end. Yes. Because people feel yeah. guilty. They weren't the caregivers. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons we can explain the dynamic. But mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. I like to talk to people about is if the kid is where mom lives is going to take mom in and mom's going to live with them, what does that look like? And mm-hmm. why are we need to talk about this as a family so that when mom 10 years later leaves that house to that kid because that mm-hmm. was their agreement, um, that they don't come back and accuse them of undue influence. And, and those are all those dynamics. You're living, you're in their control. You're living in their house. They're making decisions for you. They're the ones who provide you food, clothing, and shelter. So there's every argument that you unduly influence them to leave you their estate. Right. And yes, and we've both seen many times that leaving the home to the child who has lived with the parent in the home um, does happen very often but it happens without um, any um, transparency to the others that it's going to happen. And yes, it can cause a lot of problems right. in probate. Right. So, but let's talk about, let me, let me move you toward the undue influence part because um, it is one of those other areas. And sadly, there are adult children who live with a parent who do become the perpetrators of exploitation, financial, uh, but they often use a lot of psychological um, exploitation in order to, you know, mask, in order to get to the finances. So, and and we have the neighbors and the handyman and et cetera. Can you speak to the undue influence piece? I think it's important for people who are looking in on the life of a loved one to be able to identify when undue influence is occurring. Yes. Um, So it is something that we see financial exploitation of seniors all the time. And I think Mm -hmm. it's becoming more and more, um, 
more and more of an issue. Um, a lot of times I see it as family members. Um, and so I think that there should always be, if family members are living with an, a senior, I think that there always should be some required transparency on the part of the banking. Um, because more often than not, I'm seeing grandchildren and children who are taking advantage of mom when they live with them. Um, we have a case now recently where mom let all these people live with them and they had her paying them rent in her house. And she was. Um, I mean, she, was, just paying, those, she, was, she paying was paying rent, rent to they live had in her, her own paying. home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she was paying for everybody's phones and she was paying and to her detriment, you know, she didn't have caregivers. She was living without um, appropriate um, services being provided to her. Um, and that's not an uncommon story. Um, I'm not sure how we raise so many adults to live in a society where they don't think that they have to go to work and they can just live off of mom, but it is more often the case than not. Um, and so, um, so I think that if you have a situation where a sibling is living with mom, I think the requirement has to be that you, you want that dynamic and that, that relationship documented in writing. What is mom going to be paying for? What are you doing? And I say it, it sounds aggressive when I'm talking about it, but this is something everybody well, should be doing to protect themselves and their parents. Yes. Um, and so it shouldn't be aggressive, but if it is your, you know, former crackhead brother that lives in the house with mom and nobody's well, checking to make sure that that's going smoothly, that's a problem. Unfortunately, I'm also acutely aware of the many, you know, thousands of millions of family caregivers who don't pay themselves, give right. up their jobs, yes. you know, and, yeah. and incredible sacrifice. And I Absolutely. often encourage them look at the finances, you know, pay yourself, pay the room and board, do not impoverish yourself. Um, but, um, but today we're talking about that, that other side. And, right, um, right. And I think because you guys talked about caregivers agreements in the last show, that mm-hmm. deals with protecting the person who is the caregiver. Because even when it's somebody, mom doesn't live with that person, if that person is taking off from work to go to doctor's appointments, if that person is, you know, spending their evenings going to buy mom groceries, those all add up. And those all can be incredibly financially detrimental to that caregiving mm-hmm. our child. Mm-hmm. So I think on both sides, it needs to be documented. Um, unfortunately, I have to deal with the side a lot of times where it's the kid that's stealing the money. Well, so on the and- end, Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to give the highlight of, you know, um, if if you've got someone, right, the friend, the caregiver, even I've seen this with paid caregivers from agencies who begin to isolate right. your loved one. Oh, she, and she's never available to talk on the phone. Um, she doesn't want to see you. Um, suddenly, you know, the parent is angry at the child, but nobody knows why. Right. Um, They're isolated. They're dependent. They're physically dependent on another person to help. Um, These become red flags, if you will. And there is an area of law now um, where you all are looking at the undue influence piece. It's being used um, I mean, I was involved in a a big case years ago where, um, you know, the ex-wife would um, say, I'll remarry you, but you have to give me this. You have to give me that. You have to sign this loan document. You have to forgive this loan. And, um, 
you know, she would take him places that would um, isolate him from others in his, and he had some impairment as well. So right, right. But um, and I think that again, I mean, I I try not to be the person who sees only the bad in others, but um, it's sometimes I, it is yeah, sometimes hard you know, not to focus I, on the negative. Well, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. While you know, it's the old. I I don't mean to quote Reagan, but I'm going to uh, trust but verify. So Uh, for instance, son's living in the home with mom. Um, You know, someone goes in and they find that um, copies of all of the stock certificates are in the home and they immediately think he's doing something shady. He's trying to steal the stock certificates. And I suggest, why don't you ask him why he did that? Right. Well, he did that because his mother in her dementia insisted on carrying around the stock certificates and he took the real ones, put them in a safe place and made copies of them so she could carry the copies right. around. That is, you know, making an assumption and and looking. So we've just got a couple minutes left, like two minutes, three minutes. Um is there anything you'd like to say about the guardian process? I mean, I like to say it's a really hard thing to go through for families. Right. Um, you really should only do it if you absolutely have tried everything. Um, what else should we? But I think it's, I, I would say this not as a commercial for lawyers, but I definitely think that if you see something, say something. And one of the mm-hmm. problems that I have is that some of the calls we're getting will be, well, this happened and they'll tell me like 2012. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Are you talking about like eight years ago is when you started seeing something and you're now calling me. Right. And And dad has lost $500,000 to the the exploiter. Right. Right. Um, And so I think that's definitely um, a catchphrase. I think that's really important in this area is if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to overcome the family dynamic. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to make decisions for my mom. And I'm using her as the example because, you know, she's a fully functioning adult that still Mm -hmm. works full time. But I don't want to have to take over paying her bills. It is a hard transition to go from the caregiver to the, to, I mean, the one being cared for to the caregiver. And so people hesitate to jump in when they should have. And I think that's something that we all have to be better about is recognizing I'm not super comfortable with the way this sounds. I'd like you, even if it's talking to mom directly and saying, I don't like the way this sounds, tell me more about that. And I realize this is your private financial business, but mom, you know that this is going on. People can take advantage of you. And I don't like to use scare scare tactics all of the time. Don't bury your head in the sand. But you have to be realistic that Mm -hmm. things can go wrong. Um, Yeah. I think the last thing I would say is that... um, even good families fracture under the under the overwhelm and the emotion um, of caring for an aging loved one, that we need to be gentle with ourselves. We need to give each other a break. You need to be careful with your words and perhaps you'll get through it. But I'm hoping that some of what we've offered today is um, information that people can use to help them overcome those things. I do want to thank you, Christy, for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. And um, people can hear this conversation uh, after this live show. You can find us on voiceamerica.com. You can find us on aginglifenetwork.com. 
my website, or you can find us on your favorite podcast channel. So again, Christy, thank you. Um, I would love to have you back. A couple of these topics we probably need to get into a little deeper, but um, I appreciate where where the conversation went today. Thanks for Thanks joining for having me. Thank you. And thank you everybody for joining us. And I will um, see you again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Uh, Mountain, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.